I'm Pastor Jeff Shreve, and I want to thank you for joining us today on From His Heart. We're continuing in a new series this month called Footsteps, what it really means to follow Jesus. Listen, the Bible says that when a person truly surrenders to Christ as Savior and Lord, and that person follows Him, there will be fruit. Now, now what exactly is fruit? Fruit is this, it's the visible evidence that we belong to Christ. The deeds, the words, the godly attitudes that identify us as disciples of Jesus. In the message today, you and I are gonna be challenged to re-examine our lives and see just how much fruit we're growing, or maybe letting rot on the vine. So I invite you to grab your Bible and follow along as we study together a message that will answer the question, where's the fruit? John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to the disciples at the Lord's Supper, at the Last Supper, and Judas has already left, and he is just with the true believers, and he says this in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love." If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. We're in a series called Footsteps. We are learning what it really means to follow Jesus. And the evidence that you are truly a follower, not just a fan of Jesus, but truly a follower of Jesus, the evidence is fruit. It's fruit. There is going to be fruit in your life if you're a true follower of Jesus. That's what he says in John chapter 15. I am the vine, you're the branches, you're going to bear fruit for me. Now, what does it mean to bear fruit for the Lord? Well, there's different kinds of fruit. You know, if you know the Bible very well, you know in Galatians it gives us the fruit of the Spirit. And that's inner fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things inside that, the, that God does within us as the life of God flows through us and and uh, in us and through us. You produce those things that come from God. So there's inner fruit. There's outer fruit. Outer fruit are good works. Jesus said, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works 
and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So you have inner fruit, you have outer fruit, then you have people fruit. That's when you share the gospel with someone. You're involved with bringing someone to Christ. You're reproducing yourself, so to speak, and you're leading that person to Christ. That's people fruit. There's all different kinds of fruit. And the Lord says, I want you to be fruitful. What is the evidence that you're really following Jesus? It's fruit, fruit. Now, the scripture that we read, it gives us a picture of, I believe, four different kinds of Christians, four different categories of Christians. He says in verse 2 that there are some that don't bear fruit. If any branch in me, a Christian, if any branch in me does not bear fruit, he talks about the first kind of Christian, and that first kind of Christian is an empty plate. He doesn't bear any fruit. She doesn't bear any fruit. They're just empty plates. Not good to be there. But then he talks about the person who bears fruit. And this person has uh, a plate with a little bit of fruit. I'm messing up those camera guys that are having trouble. Uh, <laughs> plate with a little bit of fruit on it. And so that's, that's good. That's better than this plate that doesn't have anything on it. He talks about uh, he's going to prune so that you bear fruit. And then he prunes so that you bear more fruit. And that's the third category, the person that bears more fruit. And obviously, we can see that uh, you're doing better here. One's got a little bit of fruit. One's got a lot of fruit, more fruit. And then he says, by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Man, that's, that's a bunch there, right? And these are good-looking grapes, aren't they? It, they're big. I got them at Sam's. They have seeds in them, so uh, that's the only downfall. But... Uh, here, here you go, and this is kind of the, uh, the life, the different kinds, categories of Christian. You have some that bear no fruit for whatever reason. We're going to talk about that. You have some that have fruit, but there's not very much. And then the Lord says, well, you have fruit, but I want you to have more fruit, so I'm going to prune you, and then I want you to have much fruit, that you'd be teeming with fruit. That's God's plan for you. That's God's plan for me, that our lives would produce that inner fruit, love, joy, and peace, that outer fruit, the good works that God has for us to do, the people fruit where we reproduce, where we share Christ, and we lead people to the Lord and help them grow in the Lord. Now, it's clear that God wants this for us. By this, verse 8, by this is my Father glorified, Jesus said, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Now, how does a Christian bear fruit? Does he do it by effort? Does he do it by sweating? She do it by sweating and grunting and groaning and signing up for another Bible study and I'll work in the nursery, you know, every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night until Jesus comes. I mean, I'm just going to work so hard. Is that how you bear much fruit? No. He says the way you bear fruit is by abiding in him. So the question, how does a Christian produce fruit? A Christian produces fruit by abiding in Jesus, by abiding in him. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. He bears a plate full of fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding in Jesus. Abide, if you noticed as we read through that passage, those 11 verses, abide is talked about over and over and over again. It's used 10 times in that passage, the word abide. It's the Greek word meno, 
M-E-N-O, which means to dwell, to live, to remain, to stay in a place, to stay in a state. And the Lord says, I want you to abide in me. He is the vine, and we're the branches that are connected to the vine. And as long as we stay connected to the vine, his life flows through us. And so that is our job, to just stay connected. It's not to produce fruit. We can't produce fruit. All we uh, are required to do is stay connected to the vine. And as we stay connected to the vine, his life flows through us, and then we will see fruit. So in order for you to be a fruitful Christian, for me to be a fruitful Christian, for us to really walk in the footsteps of the Lord and to produce fruit, because he's going to ask us at the end of it all, when we stand before him, where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? He's asking that today. Where's the fruit? Some of you are here today and you're this. You're, there's nothing on the plate. Where's the fruit? Some of you are here. There's a little bit of fruit, but there's so much more God wants to do. And, and many of us are here, but God wants to bring us here where there's much fruit. And it all comes from abiding in him. So how do we do that? Well, there are two truths that you and I must understand in order to really abide in him. Now, these are simple truths, but they're profound truths. Truth number one, you have to understand that the Lord really does love you, that he really does love you. Verse 9, Jesus said, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Just as the Father has loved me, how much did the Father love Jesus? Infinite amount, infinite amount. Just as the Father has loved me, Jesus said, that's how much I love you. Abide in my love, stay in my love, live in my love. Just like the branch needs to abide in the vine, you abide and stay and remain and live in that state of my love. And you know, when you talk about the love that God has for us, people are like, yeah, I ain't tell me something I don't know. I, I, I've known that for a long, long time. Yeah, a lot of people know it here. You don't know it here. You know how I know that you know it here? So many people know it here and not here because I struggle with it being here and not here. Karl Barth, great theologian, called one of the greatest theologians in our recent history. He died in 1922, I believe. But uh, Karl Barth was uh, greatly used of God. He had a just a fabulous mind to understand theology. He wrote uh, a 13-volume set called The Church Dogmatics. This sounds like an exciting thing to read, doesn't it? 13 volumes of church dogmatics. But in it, he talked about uh, God and theology and faith and the church and, and put it all, I mean, just 13 volumes of stuff. Somebody asked him one time, a student, they said to him, uh, Dr. Bart, you know, you've written so much, so extensively on uh, the Bible and theology and faith and the church. Can you boil it down for me, just what you're trying to say in a couple of sentences? I mean, what's really important if you had to just boil it down? And Karl Barth said to him, sure, I can do that. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. One of the greatest theological minds 
boiled it down to it's all about the love of God. It's the love that Jesus has for us. It's the love God has for us. See, Jesus said in John chapter 17 in his great prayer, John 17, verse 23, he prayed for his disciples. He said, Father, that they would know that you sent me and you love them even as you love me. Now, you put those two verses together. Jesus said that the Father loves his disciples. He loves his children, you and me. He loves us as much as he loved Jesus. And Jesus says, I love you as much as the Father loved me. And so there is just this huge amount of love that God has for you and for me. And if you don't understand that and really believe it, and it doesn't move, if it doesn't move from your head to your heart, you're not going to abide very well. Because you're going to question, does God really love me? When the hard times come, does God really love me? Hey, God wants you to know that he loves you. First John, there is no fear in love because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. You don't ever have to worry that one day God's going to get so fed up with you that he doesn't love you anymore. God has chosen to love you for all eternity. So what does that really mean in a practical sense, that God loves you. Well, it means that the Lord wants to be with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to chill with you. He wants to spend time with you. That's what that means. I mean, when we love somebody, we want to be with that person. When, when you're married and, and you have to go away, uh, I remember when I went to Africa on a mission trip, I was gone for... Uh, three weeks. And, and man, I was missing Debbie so much because I love Debbie and I wanted to be with, with Debbie. And although we were seeing God do great things there in Kenya, I couldn't wait to get home to be with my wife because I love her. And God says, I want to be with you. I want to hang out with you. You know, sometimes the love of God, we can, we can get so big with it that we miss the smallness of it. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the world is pretty big, but the world is made up of individual people. It's made up of you and me. For God so loved Larry Sims that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved Walt Sharp that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved Evan Sidwell that he gave his only begotten son. Hey, for God so loved Jeff Shreve that he gave his only begotten son. Wow, you put your name in there. It's, it's personal. God loves you, and God wants to spend time with you. God wants to have a relationship with you. Do you remember when Jesus was going through Jericho? There was a man in Jericho. He was a little guy. He was a chief tax collector. He was rich, and he was hated because he was in partnership with Rome, and he was cheating the people. And he wanted to see Jesus. He had heard about Jesus. He wanted to see him, but he couldn't see him because there was a big crowd. And he was, I don't know how tall, maybe he's 5'4". He couldn't see above the crowd. So he went on ahead, climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus. And as Jesus is passing by, he sees Zacchaeus up in the tree. And he says to him, calls him by name, Zacchaeus, you come down. For today, I must stay at your house. And Zacchaeus says, my house? I mean, you know my name? You would want to hang out with me? Everybody hates me. You might feel like that. Hey, I'm a big sinner. Everybody hates me, it seems. Jesus, doesn't Jesus loves you? 
Jesus wants to hang out with you. And in that story in Luke 19 about Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus ends up receiving eternal life. And Jesus makes this statement after this Zacchaeus luncheon. He says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And here Jesus rejoiced because Zacchaeus was lost and now he had been found and his life had been changed. Hey, what does it mean that God loves you? It's that he wants to come to your house. He wants to hang out with you. He cares about you and wants to be with you. And secondly, it means that the Lord really does want what's best for you. Sometimes we wonder, does God really want what's best for me? Yes, yes, because he loves you. So that you know when he loves you, anybody who really, really loves you wants what's best for you. They don't want what's second best or what's uh, third best or what's worst for you. They're not trying to hurt you. People who really love you want what's best for you. Romans 8, 32, a great verse. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Hey, if you want to know, does God really love me? Does he really want what's best for me? Of course he does. Romans 8, 32, he didn't spare his own son. He gave his son for you. That proves it, that he wants what's best for you. And how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Man, the hard part's over. I gave my son for you on the cross. Now you can just enter into all those blessings and all the good things that the Lord wants to do. Now, when it comes to God wanting the best for you and me, you know what he has given us to ensure that we experience his best? He's given us commandments. Commandments sometimes are looked at as rules. Well, I don't like rules, Jeff. I, I don't really love that, you know. Hey, you know what commandments are? Commandments in the Bible, when it says, this is what you do, this is what you don't do, they're guardrails on the road of life, on the curves of life, on the mountainous roads of life. They're guardrails up, God's commandments, that say, listen, I have put these here to protect you. Because if these aren't here and you go off the road, you're going to go off a cliff. And I don't want that for you. You know one of the big commandments that so many people kick against? Sexual purity. Well, people don't like that one. You know, I mean, it's okay if you love each other. No, it's not. Let the marriage bed, Hebrews 13, 4, let the marriage bed be undefiled for fornicators, those who have sex before they're married, and adulterers, those who are married and have sex with someone who is not their marriage partner. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Man, God has put a guardrail there and says, don't go over that. And when God tells you don't do that, it's not that he's keeping sex from you. He's keeping sex for you for you because if you barrel past those guardrails you're going to find pain and hurt some of the people who have gone deepest in sin are the most unhappy people on the planet i never forget talking to that lady some years ago who had given herself over to drugs and sex and rock and roll she had her first abortion when she was 15 and so many different uh, sexual partners. And she sat down at the table with me and with tears in her eyes, she said, I hate my life. You hate your life? Well, you're the one that is living big. You drug, sex, and rock and roll. Shouldn't that make you happy? That stuff will never make you happy. Who can eat 
the scripture says, and who can have enjoyment without him, you go past the guardrails, you're not going to find happiness. And God wants what's best. Hey, he loves you. He wants what's best. And he wants you to live in his love, to live in his love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. You keep his commandments. You abide in his love. You obey him. That's how the Lord tests to see. Do we really love him? Well, he says talk is cheap. You can tell uh, people all the time, well, I love God. Well, the Lord says, hey, the way I know that you love me is that you obey me. He who has my commandments, John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Hey, when you, when you really understand the Lord loves me, he has set up guardrails for me, I want to walk in his love, I want to live in his love, I want to obey him. And then you live in the light. You say, well, Jeff, what happens to somebody who doesn't obey God? What happens to a Christian who doesn't obey and goes the other way and isn't living in the light of God's love? Does God quit loving them? No. God never stops loving people. But those people stop enjoying his love. They stop experiencing his love. Many of us have had the experience of being uh, on an airplane uh, and taking off when it was cloudy outside or when it was uh, dark and, and soupy and it wasn't storming, but it looked like a storm was brewing because it was just so dark. I remember a time like that when Debbie and I took off from Seattle uh, to come back to Texas and it was just, man, it was 10 o'clock in the morning and it looked like it was uh, eight o'clock at night. It was just so dark and it was like, well, what is going on here? And as we took off and we were going through these dark, soupy clouds, it was like, I think somebody must have stolen the sun. There's no sun here. But as we kept traveling up and up and up and up, eventually we broke through those dark clouds and boom, dazzling sunlight. Because the sun is always shining. It's always shining. But until you get up high enough, until you get past the dark clouds, you don't experience that. Hey, the Lord is saying, I want you to live in my love. Don't hang around in the dark clouds. Go up and up and up and up and live in the light of my love. And you do that by obeying him. Hey, we're talking about abiding in the Lord. How are you going to abide? By knowing that God really does love you. And you can trust in his love and you can live in the light of his love. And when you blow it, what do you do? You get back and you go up and you confess your sins to God. And you get things right with him. The Bible says if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. So that's the first truth. Understand that the Lord really does love you. Second truth, understand that the Lord really as is at work in you. The little song says, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars and the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. And Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. My father is the farmer. He's the one that's working on the vineyard. 
Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. So the Lord is working in the life of every Christian. Now, we have different, as I told you, different categories of Christians here. Some take John 15, verse 2. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Some take that to mean, well, you know, you just have, you have uh, a non-Christian here. This empty plate represents a non-Christian. It was re- not really a branch in the Lord. It, it was more like Judas Iscariot. It looked like a branch in the Lord, but it wasn't really a branch in the Lord, and he takes it away. Some people believe that. I don't believe that. I think he's talking about the Christian life, and some aren't producing any fruit. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Takes away, what does that mean? Does that mean he just removes the plate, takes it away? It's not what it means. That word takes away literally means to raise up, to lift up, to pick up. Now, here's the thing, and I got this from Bruce Wilkinson's book, Secrets of the Vine. Bruce Wilkinson said he talked to a a vineyard keeper and a a grape grower, and he was talking to him about the branches. You know, the vine grows up out of the ground, and then the branches come out, and uh, he said, He said, this is what happens. He said, the branches want to naturally go down into the dirt. That's just how they kind of go down that way. And he said, sometimes you have a branch and it's gotten into the dirt and you need to pick it up. You need to lift it up. You need to raise it up because down in the dirt, it can't get the sunlight that it needs and it tends to get mildewed. And so the, uh, the farmer will come and he'll lift that up and tie it up, get it up higher, wash it off, clean it so that branch can produce fruit. The Lord says, any branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts it up, he raises it up, he works on that branch. Why? Because he wants it to bear fruit. Now, if you are here today and you're honest and you say, you know, you talk about love, joy, peace, I don't have that. You talk about good works, I don't really have that in my life. You talk about leading people to Christ, I'm not doing any of that. Well, you're an empty plate. So what, but, but you say, Jeff, I've really and truly received Christ as my Savior and Lord. I know that I'm connected to the vine, but I have an empty plate. Well, this is what the Lord is going to do because he's working on you. See, if you are unfruitful, the Lord will discipline you. Because he doesn't want you to be unfruitful. He doesn't get any glory. By this, verse 8, is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. If you got an empty plate, you're not bearing any fruit. You're not proving to to be his disciple. You're not glorifying God. And that's the chief aim of man, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. If you're not glorifying God, you're missing the boat. You're just an empty plate. And this is what the Lord will do. If you really belong to him... He's going to get after you. He's going to discipline you. Now, discipline, you mark it down, discipline is never fun. When God disciplines you, it's not a fun experience. And the Lord is faithful. He will discipline you, correcting discipline. I mean, God is a good parent. And a good parent will not let his son or daughter go wayward without giving correction. So discipline is never fun. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. And there's sorrow associated with discipline. And here's the thing about discipline. Discipline lasts as long as you disobey. 
you control the discipline coming from God. You know, parents, a good parent will discipline his kid when his kid is going astray. But when the kid gets back in line, the parent doesn't keep disciplining him because the discipline has already worked. Now, Jesus said this to the apostle Paul. When he came to him and appeared to him on the road to Damascus, he said in Acts chapter 26 and verse 14, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard to kick against the goads. It's hard, Paul, to kick against the goads. Now, you say, what does that mean? Well, a goad is what a farmer used when he was working with his oxen, when he was plowing. A goad is a sharp, pointy stick. Now, it was probably uh, much longer than this because they're, they're back behind the oxen and they're plowing and uh, they want the oxen to go in the right direction. If the oxen starts going in a wrong direction, you know what the farmer does? He gets the goad after him and he sticks him in the side to get him, hey, you're moving in the wrong direction. You go over here, stick him in the side. Kind of like a bit in a horse's mouth. If he's going in the wrong direction, you pull on that thing and that hurts. That gets his attention. Well, the goad gets the oxen's attention. And so the Lord says it's hard to kick against the goads. See, when you stab and punch the oxen with the goad, well, what does he do? His natural reaction is to kick. Well, he kicks to the back. He's getting stuck in the side and he's kicking to the back. He'll never kick the goad, never kick the goad. He'll just kick and kick and kick. And the more he kicks, the more he gets poked. It's hard, Jesus said, to kick against the goads. Some of you are here and you got no fruit. And you know it and God knows it. You got no fruit. And the Lord is coming at you in love, but he's hitting you with a goad. And you're kicking. And you're fighting. And you're screaming. And you're bucking. And the more you do, the more you get stuck. Hey, God wants you to go in the right direction. Some of you are like the prodigal son. You're going to the pigsty. And God says, I don't want that for you. Hey, get back here. Come my way. You know, one of the biggest areas where people get in trouble when it comes to no fruit, and one of the biggest reasons why people quit abiding, Christians quit abiding in the Lord, and the life of the Lord quits flowing through them, one big sin, bitterness, bitterness. Bitterness just cuts off everything God wants to do in your life. And there are tons of bitter Christians walking around. They get mad about this, that, or the other. They get hurt. Perhaps it's in church. Lots of people bitter at the pastor. Well, I quit going to church because that pastor, he didn't smile at me in the hallway, or he, he didn't do this, or he didn't do that, or whatever. They get bitter at the pastor, and then they drop out of church. Or they get bitter at their spouse for some things they did to them, or their children, or children get bitter at their parents, or whatever it is. Hey, once you let bitterness come in, everything's cut off. And then the Lord has to get after you, and in love, he will start to hit you with the goad. And you can kick all you want, but it's hard to kick against the goads. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, in that great parable, he said, I'll turn you over to the torturers if you don't forgive your brother from the heart. And it's important that we make sure our heart doesn't get bitter. You know, I always think, when I think of bitterness, I always think of Spider-Man 3. You remember Spider-Man 3 where he had this black stuff that got on him? 
and it just kind of took over, and all of a sudden he became Black Spider-Man, and Black Spider-Man wasn't a nice guy. That's what bitterness does. It turns you black. It turns you uh, dark. It turns you uh, cynical and, and just rotten and mean and bitter. God doesn't want that for you. Hey, you're going to be empty plate your whole Christian life unless you deal with that. And you know what's sad? Can you imagine dying, lived your Christian life, and you appear before the Lord? And what do you have to show the Lord? Empty plate? Where's the fruit, he says. Lord, this is all I had. This is just an empty plate. I never let you really work through my life. Wow. How horrible. You, you know the, the big issue about an empty plate? Some of you are here and you're an empty plate. You know what? You've got to really ask yourself, are you a Christian at all? Are you a Christian at all? Because a non-Christian has an empty plate too. You've got to really wonder, have I truly been saved? Is God's life, has it ever flowed through me? Don't lie to yourself. If there's no fruit, you got to start asking, hey, examine yourself. Are you really in the faith? But that's for, for, for the fruitless Christian. The Lord will get after you with discipline. How about if you are fruitful? Look at verse 2 again. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He lifts up. He raises it up. He picks it up so it can bear fruit. If it doesn't, he says he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. person doesn't lose his salvation, but the Bible says we are going to be tested by fire, and all the worthless stuff is burned up. But then he says in verse 2, and every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You're bearing fruit. Hey, some of you are here and you're like, yeah, I got some fruit here. And it's, it's pretty good. It looks pretty good. And what is God going to do to you? Well, you're not, you're not blowing off the guardrails. You're, you're trying to obey the Lord. You're trying to stay connected in his love. But the, the Lord says, I see fruit there. That's good. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out the pruning shears. I'm not using this. Because I use that when you're going in the wrong direction. I'm getting out the pruning shears, and I'm going to prune you. Why, Lord? So you bear more fruit. Bruce Wilkinson says that he bought a country, little country home, and uh, he and his wife moved in. And he said one of the things that was kind of a perk about this home was uh, in between the houses, there was this fence line, and on the fence line, there were these grapevines. And Bruce was saying, man, I've never, I've never been you know, farmer having grapes. And so he was all excited about it that, hey, you know, in a few months, we're going to get to enjoy some grapes. And he said his neighbor was outside in overalls, and he had the pruning shears out, and he was hacking the branches off of the vine like crazy. And uh, Bruce Wilkinson didn't really know what to say. He's the first time to meet the guy, and he's just like, uh, guess you don't like grapes, huh? The guy says, no, I love grapes. He says, well, uh, Man, you, you could fool me the way you're hacking away at that. He looked up at Bruce Wilkinson and he said, you're a city boy, aren't you? He said, well, you know, Dr. Bruce Wilkinson, you know. Uh, he didn't say that, but probably thought it. And uh, he said, you don't know much about grapes, do you, boy? He said, well, I like to eat grapes. He said, you do? You like to eat grapes? He said, you want to have big, big, uh, sweet grapes when uh, harvest time comes? And Bruce said, yeah, I'd like that. He said, well, then you got to make a choice. He said, you can either have leaves or you can have big, plump, juicy grapes, but you can't have both. And he kept on hacking away. 
hey, what does God want to do? Does he want you to have leaves or does he want you to have big grapes? He wants you to have big grapes. So what he does to the believer is he'll prune you. Every branch in me, Jesus said, that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Now, here's the thing about being pruned. Uh, the pruning is painful, right? Nobody likes to be pruned. I mean, this thing hurts big time, but so does this. Ouch, Charlie, that really hurt. I mean, it's just, it's just a, a brutal thing for God to come at you with the shears. And you, it's a little YouTube joke. I'm glad some of you got that. That was good. Um, you, nobody, nobody really likes this. And we're like, God, put that down. And God says, you know what? If I put it down, this is all you're going to produce. You're, you're just going to be this kind of believer, and I don't want that. I want you to have more fruit. I want you to have this kind. And so I'm going to prune you, and I'm going to keep pruning you so we get to this kind where you have much fruit. It takes pruning, and the pruning is painful. But the pruning is necessary. You read in the Bible about the people who had much fruit. The people whom God used the greatest. Joseph in the book of Genesis. Lots of pruning in his life. Lots of things. Not because of sin. God didn't come at Joseph with the, the goad. He came at Joseph with the pruning shears. And Joseph spent years of his life either as a slave in Egypt or in prison in Egypt. And he could have said, God, what gives? He could have easily gotten bitter at his brothers, bitter at Potiphar's wife for lying about him, bitter at God because he wasn't intervening in his life, but he didn't. He trusted God, and God used his life. And when he was 30, he became prime minister of Egypt, and he served for 80 years as prime minister of Egypt, and he had much fruit. David was anointed king as a kid, 12 years old. Didn't become king until he was 30 years old. Long time of uh, what's going on, God? Hiding in a cave, Saul trying to kill him. Was God coming at him with the goad? No, he was coming at him with the pruning shears, and God wanted to use David's life, a man after his own heart, to produce much fruit. Paul was a guy, God came at him first with the goad, won him to the Lord, and then he came at him with the shears. Remember, Paul was the one who had the thorn in the flesh. He didn't want it. He prayed three times that it might depart from him, from, from me. That's what Paul said. We don't know what he had. We don't know what it was. But it was something that was very painful in his life. And the Lord said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And Paul understood, hey, God's not mad at me. God's just pruning me. He's using this for good in my life so I would produce much fruit. And he said, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. The pruning is necessary. God wants you to produce much fruit. Now, as we close out, I want to ask you this question. I want you to be honest with me. Where are you? Some of you are here. You have nothing. Nothing. And some of you are here, and the reason that you have nothing is because you've never come to know Christ. You're not in the vine. But that can change today. 
because you can receive Christ as Savior and Lord. You can just cry out with blind Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, and he will have mercy on you, and he'll save you. Some of you are here because you're lost. Some of you are here because you're in disobedience to the Lord, and he's been getting after you with this goad, and it's time for you to say, Uncle, enough. Lord, I will go in the direction you want me to go. Why? Because I know you love me. You, won't, you have what's best for me, and I'm going to quit kicking against the goads. Folks in this category that are really believers, you need to come down to the front at the invitation. You need to get some things right. You need to let God have his way. Maybe you need to publicly rededicate your life, whatever it is, but you need to move from here and start growing. Some of you are here with some fruit, some fruit, and that's good, but the Lord wants to take you to more fruit, and he's going to do that by pruning you. And don't fight the pruning shears. You know, one of the things that Bruce Wilkinson said, he couldn't tell the difference a lot of times between these two things. And when God came at him with the pruning shears, he thought it was the goad. And he said he would get uh, confess every sin since the War of 1812. And it would be like, this is not working. God, why are you punishing me? And then he realized, God's not punishing me. He's trying to grow me so that I would be more fruitful. He's cutting off all the little sucker branches and the things that are going to keep me from producing much fruit. Hey, God wants to move us all to this place where our life just teems with fruit, where we live the abundant life, and it can happen as you abide in him. Hey, Jesus wants to know today, as he looks at you, as he looks into your heart, as he looks into your life, Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? And he says, let me do a work in you. And we'll have much fruit. And by this is my Father glorified. My friend, thanks for watching today. And as we close out the broadcast, I want to ask you to really search your heart to see, do you really have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You can't follow in his footsteps until you come to know him until you come to surrender your life to him, the King of kings and Lord of lords. If you're not sure if you've ever done that, today is the day for you. Just pray with me. Pray this prayer from your heart. Just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I know that I'm a sinner and I'm lost. I can't save myself, but Jesus, I believe you're God in the flesh. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I believe that you love me and that you wanna save me. And right now, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and save me. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior, and I commit myself to follow you all the days of my life. My friend, if you'll pray a prayer like that from your heart and mean it, the Lord will come in, and your life will never be the same. I would love to hear from you, to know that you're watching, to know that God is using this program to make a difference in your life, to know that you just prayed that prayer. Please take the time to call that toll-free number, write me, email me, let me know what's going on and how we can pray for you. You really are important to God, and you're important to us, and we're here for you. From His Heart is the viewer-supported broadcast ministry of Pastor Jeff Shreve, who believes that no matter how badly you may have messed up in life, God still loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Find out more about that plan. Go to fromhisheart.org. Real truth, real love.